Um, and they'll be back, by the way. So this morning we're doing something a little bit different. Um, we're uh, having a... Uh, um, we're not going to be having communion this morning, but at the end of the service, the kids are going to join us again, and they're going to help us to celebrate and thank our mothers and daughters among us this morning. And so uh, that this is going to be a little bit special thing. We have a really cool video that uh, I just had to show. It is so good. And so uh, we're going to show a video and just kind of give you guys a thanks. And um, uh, actually, we're going to give you all some as well. So that's at the end. But uh, before that, we are, we've been in a series we're calling Empowered, um, the beginning of the church in the book of Acts. And, and so what we've been talking about has been, how do, we, how do we see vintage grace happen? We've talked about the vision of the church, what we want vintage grace to look like, uh, you know, what would be our strategy, all these different things. But in the end, I've said, if it's going to happen, it's got, we've seen this, how is it going to happen? We'll be asked the question. And then kind of by extension, there's a practical aspect of this as well. How do we see change in our lives? How do we see improvement? How do we see, um, how, let's just get down to it. How do we love our people in our lives? I mean, it's one thing to love people uh, that are the closest to us. That seems tough enough. How do we love people? And so how do we have the power to do this? How do we have the power to live our lives? And then, you know, and then as a church, how do we see vintage grace happen? And, and what we've, so I said, let's go back to the very beginning of the church. Let's go back to the very start and see how it started. See, see what changed in the lives of Christians at the very beginning and see if we can understand, glean what would be necessary. And right away we saw that there is, we need power. Just like when you jump in your car and you turn that key or now you push that button, one day you'll clap or something, and you get in your car and it starts, most of us don't think about what it takes for that to happen and for you to push that little pedal and it goes down the road. It's like, yay! And we don't normally think about what it takes for that to happen until we get in the car and we hear that, that horrible sound, that sinking, gut-sinking sound of the click, 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 click. And then all of a sudden we're worried about what's going on, and then we open the hood and we look at it like that's going to do something. <laughs> like you opening the hood and looking in there is going to change anything because like you know, right? I think there's one guy in here who might, or a couple of guys in here who might know what that, but most of us look at the hood. I just want to open the hood. I look, I look around and I think, okay, and I shut it and I call somebody, right? Because I'm like, I don't even know why I looked in there. Like, it was going to be obvious, right? And so, um, we need power. And so, over the last three weeks, we've seen at the beginning of the church that the same thing was necessary. Jesus, um, uh, lit, you know, lived this perfect selfless life among the disciples or whatever, and then was arrested, um, and then a uh, mock trial, was eventually crucified, and then miraculously walks out of that grave and begins to appear to his disciples. And here's the thing, a uh, really interesting aspect about this, somebody said this recently, that, you know, there's this idea, I think, in the, in the, that we have this uh, idea that because we're modern, and we're sophisticated, 
we, we know more than they knew back then. That, like, like, you know, because back in the olden days, back in the ancient times, people believed in all, anything. They would believe in anything. And so if they, somebody told them, somebody rose from the dead, they would believe it. But that isn't true. Back in ancient times, back in, you know, these disciples believed that when somebody died, they stayed dead. At least that's what you wanted to happen, right? We have television shows and movies devoted to what happens when people don't stay in the grave, right? There's a whole industry now on zombies and everything else like that. But they... They didn't believe it. They, they struggled to believe it. And so Jesus had to appear to them over and over and over again, it says. Right? But then, so here they are waiting for, uh, you know, Jesus is there among them. And then Jesus is like, I've got to go. I'm going to be with the Father. And I'm going to bring the Holy Spirit to you. And so what we see there in the early parts of, of Acts is Jesus going to reign with God in heaven, to be with God. And the Holy Spirit is given to the church as a power to fulfill the mission, to take the, the good news and to, to bring the love of Jesus to the neighborhood, to Jerusalem, to the community, to the city, Samaria, surrounding areas, and then to the utter ends of the earth, as it says. And so they're, we saw they were given the power to do that. And now we're kind of looking to see what... What are the results? What should we see if God's power is upon us? If, he, if we are people that have been given the power of His Spirit, been filled with the Spirit, what should we see? And Jonathan kind of summarized that for us. He said we should see, number one, um, we should see intimacy with God. Two, we should see love for others. And three, uh, resilience in the, in the face of opposition and resistance. Right? And so, but then last week, we, we, we sort of talk about what that intimacy with God kind of begins with and looks like. And we saw right away, as soon as God's power and spirit descended upon the people of God, preaching happened. And, and they were devoted to the Word of God. And so uh, there's power in being close to and being devoted to, as we said, uh, clinging to, digging into God's Word. It is how we know God. It's how we're going to get to know God better. <clears throat> it's not something like we have to work to be in a relationship with God. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to do anything for God to give us His Spirit and that we will be saved. However, relationships require work and diligence, don't they? So my wife loves me no matter what. But to be intimate with her, we have to work at it. You know, you know I, and I've thought that before. I mean, she's like wanting me to say I love you all the time. Like I said, I said that when we got married. And that just doesn't work, does it? It's like I, we had a date six months ago. Why do you need, I mean, how often, do, you know, right? It takes regularity. It takes work, it, you know. And, and actually, husbands are challenged in, uh, uh, in uh, Peter's epistles, Peter uh, chapter 2, he says, Husbands, live with your wives with understanding or knowledge. Right? So it's, and the ladies don't struggle with this as much as us guys. It's, it takes work for us to, like, understand. And I get it. Women are hard to understand. I, yes. And, and we're not mind readers, ladies, by the way. However, it takes work. It takes diligence to build intimacy and to know one another. Right? Same thing with God. And so the word of God comes in right away. Boom, with power, and the power of preaching, and the value of preaching, even though 
they may be considered foolish by some. Peter, uh, Paul deals with that somewhere. But the power of God's word, the power of preaching, and the power of digging into God's word is where intimacy of God begins. And so, and it's not a fuzzy feeling intimacy. It's not that early romance stuff where you're like, you hang up first. No, you hang up. You hang up first. No, all that stuff, right? That's fine. That's great. And we had that when we first became believers. But then there's the gritty, dirty, hard work of intimacy. And that's, that's the beautiful mess of marriage. And it's the beautiful mess of relationships, right? And it's the same with God. So, so today I want to ask, hey, what are some other results? What are some of the other results? Of re- what, what does it look like when the Spirit of God is on, on his people? What, what, are, what does that look like? Okay? And so I'm going to be reading uh, in uh, Acts chapter 2. And uh, we're, we're still in Acts, all the way, just already, we're not even beyond chapter 2. We're going to be starting in verse 40 this morning. This is right after Peter, like right at the end of Peter's sermon that we've looked at multiple times now. We looked at it at Easter and now last week and then here we are again. So here at the, in verse 40. Um, and so it'll be up on the screen if you have a Bible or whatever. All right, so. And with many other words... He, as Peter, bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. And those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed together, and all who believed, sorry, were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and, dis- and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We pray that you would speak through your, and with power in your spirit this word this morning because nobody came to hear Russell talk. Nobody came to hear my opinions or my ideas. They came to hear from you. And so, Father, speak through this word this morning. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. And so, you have this amazing picture of the beginning of the church. And, and so, you know, we've asked, what, what is it going to take to start a church? And what did it take to start a church? And so we might flip that question on its head and ask the question, what are the signs of life from a church? So if you're looking out at churches throughout the world, and there's a, yes, amen. And there are churches uh, throughout, you know, there's all kinds of churches and if, if you're looking at those, um, how do we know if a church has been empowered by God's Spirit? What are the, so let's put it this way. What are the signs of life? What is the proof of life? And you know what's interesting about that idea is that proof of life, or how do we know when somebody's dead or not, that has changed over, over the centuries. You know, there was a, uh, back in the day, if somebody stopped moving, they would be considered dead. Or if they stopped breathing. Okay, back, I've heard like centuries and centuries ago, they would literally, 
uh, tie a string to the, the corpse's toe, the dead person's toe, and run that cord up from the from the casket or wherever they'll be up to the surface. So if you know they by chance made a mistake and the person wasn't really dead, the bell a bell at the top would start ringing, right? And so. Uh, <clears throat> Because there was a point where it was like the breath. Is it the breath? You know, and, and somebody could be very, very shallowly breathing or and still be alive. You know, that maybe happened or whatever. You know, who knows? Uh, um, you know, now it's, you know, then it was the heart. You know, is there a heartbeat? And now we do like what, you know, brain, you know, if there's brain waves or something like that, right? Uh, but for some reason this reminded me of something, uh, there was some uh, med students who think it's, thought it was a really funny prank. Uh, they, you know, med students have to um, study on a cadaver, right? So they're regularly standing over. And so uh, one particular afternoon, a bunch of students thought they would uh, play prank on their fellow students, and they uh, l- uh, wired up one of the cadavers with some electrodes, and when their, their friend came in and was beginning, you know, starting to do his work or whatever, they fired up those electrodes, and the body sat up straight. <laughs> and this guy freaked out, ran out of the room, you know, and they all, they all come out just cracking up or whatever. That, uh, and so, you know, what's the sign? But here's the thing. What is the sign of life for a church? How do we know it's alive? How do we know it's the church? You know, in the Westminster Confession of Faith, it talks about, you know, there are varying uh, degrees of health and vitality within the church. Some very close to the gospel. Some have strayed so far to become, as it says, the synagogue of Satan. And, you know, hinting at the the Roman Catholic Church at the time, you know, of course. And so, uh, what is the, the, what what are the signs of life of a church? And, um, and here's the thing is, here in the, we see the immediate results. God's filling his people, the power of God coming on them, and then we see their response here in this passage. And so I, I just, just want to kind of walk through what these look like and kind of what it means for us today, okay? Um, and so let me just say this as kind of a big idea, okay? When people are transformed by the gospel and filled with the Spirit, Okay, the result is, is that they're going to begin to, di- to, to live very extraordinarily. Now, I like this word, extraordinary, because it's extraordinary. It's beyond the norm. It is amazing. And, and that's what you see here in this passage. Okay? And so, um, and so here they are, these people, they're together, and we've already seen that they're devoted to God's word. And, however, we see other things happening as well. So, first thing we see is that when God's people are filled with the Spirit and they're devoted to God's Word, they are going to be a community of true worship. They're going to be people that worship. Whoops. We can edit that out, right? Um, we can, you know, people that worship. So look here in Acts chapter 2 with me. Back, let's go back to it. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We already said, they're devoted, they're, cling, they're clinging to the word, but they're clinging to other things as well. And the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, 
and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So let's, I just kind of want to chip through these, okay? First of all, we've already said they're devoted to the apostles' teaching. The Word of God is at the center point, the heart of their worship together. Okay? So we're, we're going to just skip through that one, okay? Secondly, it's, they're devoted to the fellowship. Okay? The fellowship is... Um, Again, one thing you got to, there's a string of things here that they're devoted to. And every one of these, uh, Luke, the writer here, is using um, the, the definite article V. Okay, and so this translation doesn't do it for us, but it's the apostles, well, maybe it does. The fellowship, the breaking of bread, the prayers, okay? And so what is the fellowship? Well, it's obvious. They were devoted to coming together as God's people as a commonality, coming together as what later became known as Holy Communion. It's the communion of the saints, the, the God's people coming together to worship God together. All right? Okay, then you see the breaking of bread. And we, and we see the same wording back in Luke's Gospel when Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper, the communion. And so this the breaking of bread here is coming together and having breaking bread and having the wine and celebrating this this new institution, this new sacrament that God has given through Jesus. This that, that we do normally we do every week, which we're not doing this week. Okay, okay, and then moving on the prayers. Okay, so it's not just prayer, but it probably was prayer, but the prayers. And so early on in the church, and we see this kind of peppered throughout, for example, like Philippians chapter 2 and several other, many other places throughout the New Testament, many scholars have identified what would have been common prayers or liturgies that the people had begun to, to develop and say right away. And so they are already beginning to put together common prayers and, and things of that sort. That's why at Vintage Grace, we like to, on occasion, we don't make a rote uh, uh, tradition. It's not something we have to do. But we like to look back at the, the prayers. We look back at history and see what, and, and, and the creeds and different things like that. So we see them doing this, okay? And then, um, and so, so you see this, this worship happening together. And then you see that awe, awe came upon every soul. What is awe? Um, what, is, what does it mean when there's awe coming upon people? Uh, we like the word awesome, don't we? Anybody here like the word awesome? Who uses the word awesome? And he, here's the thing, like, we, are, we just butcher language today. We really do. Because we say everything is awesome. Right? Like, that, that taco was awesome. You know? Man, that that car is awesome. You know, we did, you know that show was awesome. In the first time Richie Sessions pointed this out, he was like, "No, a taco is not awesome. A taco is tasty. It's delicious. The Grand Canyon is awesome, right?" And so, what's happening here is, um, the, in other words, the, there's a sense of wonder, amazement. There's a sense of, of, of smallness. Nobody goes to the Grand Canyon, stands at the lip, and says, Man, 
man, I'm awesome. Nobody says, man, I feel big today. No, we go to the Grand Canyon, or we, or we look at, the, you know, go out west and you'll see the amazing stars in the sky. Nobody says, oh, man, I really feel important. I feel significant today. No, we feel, we feel small, right? We feel like there's a greater thing. There's something bigger than us. And that's what's going on here. That the people of God aren't just at, they're not at church getting a little experience. They're not getting their, their little ears tickled. They're not, you know, getting ten steps to a better life. They are seeing the wonder and power and majesty of God himself. That's cool. And where do they see it? First in the Word of God. And then secondly, they're seeing it among themselves. This is where I've had um, unbelievers say this to me so many times. They're like, hey, well, you know, I just don't see. God hasn't shown me himself or whatever. And I'm like, have you been among a group of people that are really living out the gospel? You will see it. I see it all the time. And so that's what we see coming up. And so they were... There's this community of, of true worship, devoted in God's Word, coming together in communion, in the breaking of bread, in the prayers, and then in that, there's this sense of awe and wonder. And let me just tell you, I mean, I say this all the time, but there's churches out there, and their, their goal is to create a consumeristic worship experience, where you go away feeling all warm and fuzzy, and saying, man, that music was so good, and it was. Was then, especially 4 a.m. notice. But you know, if you walk away from from this service saying, "Man, that music was awesome," or if you if you walk away saying, "Man, Russell, man, he really is awesome preacher," you have been sold a bill of goods. I, we our goal here is that you would walk away saying, "Man, God is awesome." Man, His grace is amazing. Man, Jesus is beautiful. That's what we want. Now, and if you go away, it works. If you go away saying, man, that Russell, he could, you know, he could be a better preacher, or man, that seat was uncomfortable, you know, all that kind of stuff, that's even worse. Okay, so we want a community of true worship. And then secondly, we want a community, well, we see the gospel produces a community of extraordinary love. Okay, so if you would go with me to... Uh, Chapter uh, 2 again, verses four, I'm going to start in verse 44. Um, are, you follow, are you following me? Or you got, okay. Um, I'm a, is it working? Ah. Okay, go back. Here we go. All right, verse 44. Let me find it. Okay. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any have need. And, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, okay? praising God and having favor with all the people. And so here they are. And so we see this amazing almost commune. Like when I, I remember the first time I read this, I thought, I just imagine a bunch of people with like dreadlocks, a bunch of tattoos and piercings, smoking pot, you know, just enjoy, you know, just kind of hanging out, uh, you know, living it up or whatever. And, uh, 
so like I was, that's kind of how it on the surface kind of looks, right? Okay, but like, look what's going on here, okay? Um, there's several things going on here that are uh, unique, extraordinary about what's happening here, okay? First of all, we see that they had all things in common. They had all things in common. And, and we could say, hey, man, of course they had. You know, people that have things in common get together, right? That's, that is why most people get together, right? Like, so if, if you like cars, or if you like uh, horses, or if you like, you know, I don't know, Lord of the Rings, or if you like Pokemon, or, you know, you like shopping, you know, you're going to find people that like those same things, and you're going to hang out with them. That's the world. Right? And and crazy thing is our friends change over the years of things because our seasons of life change, right? And so that's kind of why. And you... But that's not what's going on here. They have all things in common, but they shouldn't. Okay? Because you've got you to go back up into the context here. Who's all who believed here? Okay? We, also, we know it's disciples. And they had things in common. They were fishermen. Most of them were fishermen. Matthew's tax collector. So there's a few oddballs in there. But they're mostly fishermen. So they, they hang out. You know, they, they can hang out and mend their nets and hang out and, you know, talk about lures and stuff or whatever. You know, uh, but what happened at the result of Peter's sermon? And, and who was Peter talking to? Okay, if y'all remember, the Spirit of God pours out on, 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 the, on the, the, the first disciples the, the, the apostles and disciples of Jesus, maybe a few hundred people, we don't know how many, and they go out and they start talking to people from all kinds of different languages and nations, tribes, tongues, everything. And, and then it says, and so Peter stands up and preaches, and it says 3,000 of those people believed and became a part of God's people. And then it says... Verse four, uh, 42, and those, wait, and those, let's see, then it says, and they, verse 42, and this is all those who received and believed. So these 3,000 people were from all kinds of nations, from different locations, with different interests, with different uh, socioeconomic statuses, races, gender, all, I mean, you can just imagine the variety of people that are being spoken to and are coming into the, the church at this point. And then it says, remarkably, that they had all things in common. And so, what's extraordinary here is that the normal social, political, racial categories just are out the window. And it says that they have all things in common. That's extraordinary. The gospel cuts through the barriers, the dividers, and the things that that break down our society. The very issues that are on the news every night, the gospel, when it comes in the Spirit of God, cuts right through it. Okay, but then, they didn't just have stuff in common. Okay, They, they were living this lavish generosity. I love the word lavish. It's like, it's just extravagant, you know, just like dumping it on. They are just, they're loving each other in, a, in a, just the craziest way. 
saying when they see somebody in need, they sell their stuff. And now, here's the thing. We've talked about this before. In the ancient world, they didn't have a, you know, a vice star or a Bank of America on the corner, right? And so people's property, were, if they needed to save money or put money away or whatever, they didn't really have a good bank that was trustworthy. They would buy property. And so they were basically tapping their bank accounts to help others. They were sacrificing to give to others. And they, were, they would see need, they would give to it. And here's the thing. I believe that, that when people experience the grace of God, it leads to generosity. You know how I know that? Because most of you are generous with the people you love. Aren't you? I mean, if you think about it, what would you give for your, do for your kids? What would you do for your spouse? Well, you know, well, we're not being selfish, <laughs> right? Uh, what would we do for them, right? But here's the thing. When, when we grasp the beauty of what God has done for us and the, the immense price he paid to give us a relationship with God that we might be called sons and daughters, and these other people are experiencing that too, and we begin to have that commonality, a commonality that nobody on the planet can have unless they know that same grace of God, right? They become family, and, then, and we become generous. We want to help them. We want to see them go forward. And the more, we, the more we saturate ourselves in God's Word and the Gospel, the more generous we will be. And, it, and it's not talking about like a sacrifice. There's no sacrifice here. I was, uh, was reading an amazing biography about Helen Rosevera, who ultimately really sacrificed a lot. She was a missionary in Congo, and who, um, gave, uh, who's during the, the uh, there was a civil war in 1964, and who ended up sacrificing her body. I mean, she was brutally raped, beaten, almost to death, and whatever. And she was talking about cost. She was like, do I count that a cost? She was like, no, it's a privilege. She was saying, you know, cost is relative. She was like, you know, if you, if you buy a gallon of milk in, 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 in times that, you know, of, of plenty and whatever, and you have to pay 10 bucks, that 10 bucks sounds, right? But if you're starving, 10 bucks is nothing. I'll just take it. Please give it to you, right? It's cost is relative. And she was saying that uh, in her case, God, you know, was leading her to count it a privilege to share in his sufferings. And I think that's where we get in the gospel. As we, as we know the, what he's done for us and the suffering that it took to bring us before God, paid for in full, full grace, beautifully loved as his sons and daughters, there is, it's not a cause. It's a privilege. Okay? So that, that, and then it, we also see that they were always wanting to be together. There was just, just commonality. And so, and, and, they're, and they're together, but they're also together in mission together. You see that they're at the temple regularly. And that temple here, just real quickly, that temple is, uh, the, it is church for them. But... The temple complex was like downtown. That's where all the shopping happened. That's where commerce happened. That's where business happened, trade. All that was going on at the temple complex. So they were, they were hanging out downtown. They were hanging out in the community together. And so here we see this amazing 
grace this thing that's happening. And so, um, and so we see that the initial response to the gospel is a desire to worship, experience God's word together, and the breaking of bread, um, to experience commonality and fellowship and generosity and love together. That's the one of the. That's what the response here is. Uh, this community of extraordinary love. Okay, but we got to be careful here because we can look at that. Back, back up. Just that. We're not there yet. Um, <clears throat> we can look at that and say, "Man, <coughs> that's awesome. Why aren't we that way?" Because <coughs> it's hard. Okay, let me tell you. Because this, is, in very many ways, is a little bit of a honeymoon, but it's a, it is a picture of what should be happening, right? But what should be happening doesn't naturally happen because we're sinners, because we bump, you know, we bump each other, we, we offend each other. And we just tell you, we've been trying to live this out here at Vantage Grace. We've looked at this passage multiple times together as a new church and said, these are some of the things we want. We want gospel-centered worship. We want gospel-centered community. And we want, <coughs> excuse me, guys, and we want mission that is fueled out of the gospel, right? And so, um, but it's hard. <coughs> excuse me. It is hard to live this way, isn't it? <coughs> so you get me water or something? I hope so. <coughs> Thank you. All right. Uh, it's hard to live in family with other people. We've had, we've had conflict. We've had hurt. We've had people leave. We've had, we've had a lot of trouble trying to live this out. It is hard. And if there's people among us that are resistant to the gospel, there's people with us who don't want the cost or the privilege of what it takes to live this out, or who don't want to live this thing, these, you know, the, 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 the messiness of it out, they ditch. And that's happened among us. It's hard to live this family. I heard a really cool story. It, it kind of relates to Mother's Day. Uh, there was a little girl. <coughs> thanks, man. There was a little girl who um, had, a, had a little sister. She was like maybe between 5 and 10. I can't remember exactly how old she was, but she remembers all this to a T. And she had... Remember, she had a little sister, and she became more and more upset as time went on because her, you know, her little sister was always getting doted on, and you know, everybody's giving her the attention and stuff. And if and if they ever did anything wrong together, it was always the older sister's fault, right? And also, they had to go to bed at the same time. And she learned by hanging out with some friends that they got to go to bed a little bit later. And so she, you know, she appealed to her mother one day and said, hey, I think I should be able to go to bed later. I'm older. And her mom said no. And so she was really upset. She was like righteously indignant. And so she, she began to hatch a plan that she decided that she was going to run away. And so she began to pack her bags <clears throat> which included all her, you know, her favorite, you know, book coloring books and Nancy Drew and whatever else. And so she filled a huge suitcase with toys and books and whatever else and then had no room for clothes. So she began to uh, decide, well, I need, I'm going to need at least one change of clothes. So she put two layers of clothing on. And as she was walking out the door, she, you know, her, uh, she said, I'm, I'm running away. And so, and her mom said, 
uh, you know, are you going to go to Grandma's? Which was like around the corner. And she, and she thought to herself, how did she know that? She's spying on me? And so she, she didn't say a word. She marched out of the house, dragging this huge suitcase down the road, which had no wheels at the time. And uh, she's making her way down the road, <coughs> which she didn't realize as she's dragging this bag full of books, I mean, this suitcase full of books and all kinds of toys, which is really heavy. And she's beginning to sweat because she has two pairs of clothes on. She didn't realize her mom was like, a couple, you, know, you know, 20 yards behind her in the car, waving on people saying, you know, everything's okay. <laughs> and so she marches and she gets to her grandma's house. And her grandma, before she can knock on the door, comes out and says, hey, you can stay for a little bit, but you're not allowed to live here. And she thought, my mom has betrayed me. She called ahead. And so she went into her grandma's house, and she, she's sitting there, and her grandma went to get her something to drink, cause she was, and so she peeled off her clothes, and then her mom came in and sat down in a chair across from her, and she said, uh, her mom didn't say a word, but just motioned over to her to sit with her. And she said, you know, she, she, went, she went because, you know, she was hot, she was tired, frustrated, and she was, you know, seven. And so she went and sat with her mom. Mom put her hair behind her ears and, and looked at her and put, took her, hand, her head in her face and said, why, why are you so upset and want to leave? And she went into, you know, because, you know, my sister and this and that and you won't let me... <coughs> And, and her mom said, you know, I'm so sorry about that. Let me, I know what we can do. I know what we want. I know exactly what you want. She says, tomorrow we'll take your sister to the orphanage and we'll leave her there to be adopted. And she said, you know, she, she had read the Nancy Drew. She knew what adoption meant. And she burst into tears and said, no. Please, please, no, don't send away my sister. I love my sister. And her mom said, well, okay, if that's really how you want it. Okay, I guess we'll just have to try to work things out then. And she said that night they went to bed at the same time. And for years later, you know, her and her sister became best friends and so on. But throughout time, you know, at times when they would get in a fight or whatever, she would look over at her mom and her mom would say, hey, you had your chance. But what a cool story of motherhood, right? What a cool story of, but it's hard to live as family, isn't it? And it requires the depth of the gospel. It requires the privilege of suffering. It requires us digging in and knowing and being intimate with God in His Word. However, here's the thing. Go to the next one, okay? If we do this, if we, if we pay the cost, if we accept the privilege, we dig into the gospel, we press in, even when it hurts, people are going to be attracted. People are going to want to be a part of it. And that's what you see here, okay? It says here in the last verse, okay? okay um, and day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having faith with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. If we live the gospel, if we press into community, people are going to come 
and we're gonna we're gonna see here guys we will see the power of God changing hearts changing lives making marriages beautiful making people help helping people love their kids well and, and go down the list saving people from judgment that is the beauty when the Spirit of God comes upon people and we dig into His Word, we dig into worship, we dig into community, even when it hurts, God's people are going to be attracted to it. I'm telling you. So let's, let's seek that. Okay. Now, if you're here this morning and you don't believe and you can't be counted among those 3,000 or really the, the, <clears throat> the, the billions of those who have claimed the name of Jesus throughout, throughout time, about the last several million, several thousand years, excuse me, uh, we, we invite you. We invite you into the mess. You know, and here's the thing is, uh, it's free. It's been paid for. All you have to do is believe and trust that he lived a perfect life on your behalf, that he died on your behalf, paying for all the muck and mess and junk and sin and rebellion in our hearts, so that you could be known by God, that you could be called his son or daughter. And so that you could be a part of his people together, living life like that. I, I look so forward, and I, I so enjoy it when I see glimmers of this happening. Isn't it cool? Now, for, all, for, for those of us who are believers... You know, there is challenge here. Some of this is a natural result of the gospel, but the natural result of the gospel is us, part of it's us digging in and knowing the gospel. Some of it's being willing to open up and share our junk with other people, which the gospel allows us to do. It, it, it means being, counting it privilege to sacrifice and, and be in the mess with other people. Because as soon as you get involved with other people, there's mess. That is how it works. That is the premise of, uh, what do you call it? Um, <clears throat> come on, TV. Uh, reality TV. Sorry, I could not think of that term. Y'all are all thinking it and not helping me here. Okay? That is the premise of reality TV, is that when you put people together in a scenario, you get mess, which mess means a good story, you know, on TV or whatever. So... Um, so let's pray and ask God that he would um, help us to be his people like this. Lord, um, when we look at this picture of just um, people coming together in this awe-filled, spirit-empowered, gospel-centered worship, we see them coming together in this amazing, extraordinary community of love and generosity. And then we see people's lives being transformed. People being brought in to the love of Jesus and being brought in to the community of God's people, Lord. We, we, we say, Lord, make vintage grace that. Not for our sakes, but for your glory. For the beauty of your son Jesus' glory. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be this. And that uh, whether we're, we're old, poor, young, rich, uh, male or female, uh, black or white, uh, Lord, all the categories, all the dividers in this world we've broken down because we are now you. We are now united in you. And we are now your sons and daughters. That makes us brothers and sisters. 
living in unity. Help us to do that. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, um, we, we, uh, we're not doing communion this morning because we want to do... Uh,